And we are live on Leadership Redefined Podcast on this beautiful Monday morning. We were all talking how much we love Monday mornings and the transition to Monday mornings <laughs> offline. Uh, we are here with Shamika, Miss Shamika S- Simpson from Wine Engine. Of course, Anthony and Rich, welcome uh, to the show here. Uh, and we uh, have a lot of special guests, but we've this is a very special guest because uh, even in Wine Edge, we've done a lot of work in Wine Edge uh, for the past few years, um, and uh, we've had the pleasure of working with you a lot this past year, uh, Shamika. And I think I speak for all of us, and it has really been a pleasure in working with you and just getting to know you, your leadership style. So I'll let you introduce yourself, and we'll start just talking about some of the things that we we um, we, we think you're passionate about. You've spoken about what you're passionate about. Well get into some equity uh, things, a little bit about your history and what you learned as far as the teaching and learning space. Uh, But I'll let you introduce yourself first and then we'll get into a really cool conversation. Sure. So good morning again, everyone. Welcome to this marvelous Monday that we are having here. I am excited to be here with this Leadership Redefined team, just another phenomenal group of educators. My name is Shamika Simpson, the Assistant Superintendent for Curriculum and Instruction in Windage, New York. So what I have been always very passionate about in my leadership career, as well as an educator for over 24 years, is teaching and learning. Uh, The importance of making sure that we ensure an equitable learning environment for all scholars, for all educators, for all parents, for everyone that walks through the brick and mortar in the doorway of any educational organization that I have a seat at the table in. It's just so important to me that I advocate for, uh, work collaboratively with any team members, collaboration with New York State Education Department to fight for and advocate for what's best for children and what's best for the educational organization. One of the things that that has driven me into wanting to be at this seat at the table is identifying the inequity, uh, the lack of inclusion across many of the urban schools that I had the pleasure of attending. We didn't have the choice. It was the pleasure of where I was sent to school because of the neighborhood where I was groomed and grew up. So noticing as I transitioned from middle school into high school, you begin to notice the vast difference between the children that were in my ninth grade class and how they have been prepared based on the educational experiences that they had. So some of those vast differences were for me around technology training, right? Being exposed to those digital platforms that we didn't have in my middle school. In addition to that, uh, diverse curricular resources, just a different uh, multitude of texts. I've always enjoyed reading. I've always enjoyed spending days in the library, um, (laughs) becoming very familiar with the media specialists who were there, but beginning to really hunger and want to seek uh, materials where where children looked like me or they represented the apartment complexes where I was being raised and where they were being back in place in our classrooms. That kind of gave us some more variety than what was being sold to us from our uh, textbooks and from our day-to-day experiences. So I started on really early knowing that I wanted to be an educator, that I wanted to go into this, making sure that children first became literate because I grew up around a lot of people who did not finish high school, not because they didn't care, not because they didn't want to be great, 
not because they didn't want their children to be successful members of the society. I grew up around a large uh, group of Hispanic and African-American families and some um, Caucasian families as well in my neighborhood, very diverse. We came from a multitude of places, whether that was Jamaica, Trinidad, South Carolina, just a lot of different incorporations of culture, a lot of incorporations of variants of how we were being raised and what our values and beliefs were instilled in us from our family. So for me, it was just important that I was at that table in every school, giving those experiences to children, giving those experiences to families, and just reminding them how important it is to know that you matter where you are, and that education is almost one of those most important tools that can change your world, that can change where you take your families to, where you can break those generational curses. There's a lot more, and I know I'm talking a lot because this is just okay. that I'm very passionate about. I mean, I think it's just very important that a climate in a school is not only diverse in looking at your race, but looking at the gender, right? And unfortunately, in the educational world, we are out, men are outnumbered by the females for the most part, especially at the elementary level. But what does that mean? What are the different languages that we speak, whether that's gender related, whether that's uh, race related, whether that's socioeconomic, what are the different languages that we speak if we grow up in a city, if we grow up in the suburbs? All of those are variances, but important nuances that we have to take into consideration as educators. It's something that I, that I live by. I mean, I, I teach it to my own daughter, making sure that listening is key, you know, being a, a servant leader. I've always said from day one, um, a transformative leader. Those are two of my most interpersonal leadership styles. Um, I don't believe that anyone should be just one, but you have to capitalize and know your audience. Once you know your audience, you adjust. But in your heart of hearts, I know me, I'm a servant leader. I know that I lead and there's no job that's too big or too small for me. I wanna be in the trenches. I wanna be there in the trenches with the, you know, figuring out what do we need to make sure we have the best custodial staff in the district uh, from the current seat. But I always was in the trenches even as a building leader whether that was in the principal role or the assistant principal role, whatever the instructional role is that I serve, making sure that um, every child has an experience when they walk through that door, first and foremost, that they're loved. It's part of being the servant leader. It's part of making sure that your educators and your staff know that you care. Building those relationships in the beginning years no matter what the organization is, is, is key. It is crucial. Once you build those relationships and you take care of your people and, and they know that you care about it, but not only are you taking care of them, you're making sure that they are protected, right? Protected and leading the mission and the vision of what you are inspiring them to achieve. And once you continue to nurture them, build capacity, develop uh, the, the teachers around you, develop the scholars around you. It changes the entire culture of an organization. It changes when you really get to that typical role. It changes the community. Um, so that ties back to that transformative leadership that I referenced briefly. 
that is part of my leadership style as well. As well. So, Shamika, you, I think, I think you just um, stated a manifesto for a lot of leaders, and they should listen to every word that you just said on that. Uh, is this something? And I want to hear from Rich and Anthony as well. Uh, I know you, you, you sort of had this realization. You talked a little bit offline, and you referred to it here a little bit on on knowing that you wanted to be involved as an educator early on. Uh, you had the wherewithal going through the system to understand that you needed to go and strive and find more and get more and sort of empower yourself. And you mentioned a lot of people did not. Do you think your style, that servant leadership, that piece where uh, you're so passionate about the equity and the teaching and learning um, and everything is important no matter how big or small, is that an, an innate thing or can you point to moments in your life where you became that like what what was it more for leaders out there maybe they don't think the same way maybe they don't have a really good understanding or grasp of that they're just starting to get into this and I just want to point out too if you don't mind um I, I we talked a little bit but you just started this in the midst of a pandemic a very high level position in district as well so this is not something that you've been doing for years um you've been a, an administrator for a number of years but at, the, at a higher level during a pandemic. So you adjust quickly is my point on the fly as you've had to this past year, as many administrators have. But is it something innate or is it something sort of that has developed? And if so, what, what created this sort of mindset in you? So from, and you're right, um, Dr. Pisano, I just started this on August 23rd <laughs> in the midst of the pandemic, transitioning out of over 10 years of building level leadership. And it has been, it has um, challenged me to be very flexible and how I have supported the building principles and, and supported my team here at the district level, but also keeping my ear to the rail of what's important. So some of the characteristics of myself as a school leader that are innate are building relationships. I've always been the type of person that loves to be around people, um, eager to learn and seek knowledge from multiple educators, multiple leaders across the business spectrum as well. I feel like no one knows all, and I'm one of those, No, one, I don't know all, so I'm always seeking to learn more, to develop, um, aggregating that data ongoing, but the building relations piece is natural for me. It's innate. Where I've had to adapt, adjust, and continue to grow has been in as a leader, the ability to always ongoingly aggregate the data that's important, uh, identify the trends, you know, on the fly, be able to identify those gaps and decide which are the most important leverage points that are going to get the district to where we ultimately desire to be. And that's where we all want to be, right? Where we have at least 100% of our children at a proficient level, reading, writing, mathematicians, but we want to make sure that we are developing uh, children that are happy. And that was brought to the forefront. And that's where I feel like I've had to grow over the last year during the pandemic. Are we identifying the social and emotional needs of the scholars, but even of the educators, of all of the staff members? How are we tapping into their emotional needs? How are we ensuring that they are mentally healthy and safe based on, from this seat that I said in, the curriculum resources that we're providing, the professional development that we're advocating for, being very strategic with that data that I review on an ongoing basis, 
what are the professional developments that I've selected to align to the needs, the trends that the data is showing me? Is the data analyzed from the teacher observations? Is the data analyzed from the surveys that I've aggregated with the building principals based on the needs for social and emotional development? And out of that, we've been able to partner with several partners around trauma support, around mental health support this year. So we almost put at the forefront for us, teach hard, but love hard has been one of my, my models even before I transitioned out of the principal seat on, in August of last year, always reminding the teachers, yes, we're going to hold you accountable. I'm going to hold you accountable for making sure teaching and learning is happening at a high quality level. But I want to make sure that we're giving the children love because during the pandemic, they need that. And those are the pieces that we've had to, or I've had to adjust, making sure that culturally responsive education is at the forefront. And a lot of that hit ahead as we, impacted what's going on or what's going on and still going on across our nation, you know, heightened with George Floyd, heightened with um, our political climate and being able to bring that to the forefront of our educators through book studies, um, through professional learning experiences. I mean, we've been able to develop culturally responsive teams of educators, um, inclusive of teachers, of teacher assistants, of teacher aides, and they are working in tandem with myself and the rest of the curriculum office to really scale back the layers, looking at um, what are the learning supports that are necessary to really um, change their mindset, change how they look through the lens. Are we looking at the type of authors that we're selecting? Is every nationality represented? Are we looking at the types of stories that are being told? So an example would be, is this a, a, all of our texts about families that consist of um, marriage? Everyone's married. Do we have some stories embedded at the elementary level of single family homes? Are our texts representative of the children that we serve? Scaling back and unpacking our math problems. Are they gender-based? Do they have characters in their problems that have names like Shemika? or names like Maria, or names like Anthony? Are we truly looking through the lens of who is represented so that we're engaging our scholars around a common language, right? That we're really providing that high quality of connection around culture in multiple facets. And it sounds really basic, but it's so important. And, and you'll see the scholars say, well, I saw my name in there. Oh, you know, oh, that's my grandmother's name. Have we incorporated a language around foods, music, through all the arts? So this year, like you've all asked me, it's really been a challenge. But I feel like as a school district, we have really worked relentlessly hard to persevere and provide the resources that are necessary to support not only social and emotional needs, but also academic needs of both remote learners and, and our in-person scholars, those hybrid learners, right? To make sure that equity existed for both the parents that kept their children remote and those who sent them to school in person. And we've been able to do that. And we've had some challenges, but we, we're continuing to, you know, target, address, target, address, and it's ongoing. It's always evolving. It's like that revolving door. 
I want to give um, Rich and Anthony a chance to ask a question as well. You said it's simple, but it's very, the complexity of thinking of all these things at once is a skill uh, as well that uh, I think every administrator should, should listen to because it's not an easy thing to do. And you're thinking of nearly everything um, and all these different components and how they interrelate and combine. Rich, Anthony, questions, thoughts? You know, um, if I can just say, I, I just, I don't know if you noticed, I sort of sat back and I just enjoyed listening. I, I really, by the time I, one of our interviewees has come through uh, 30 seconds, I have four or five questions I want to ask. I don't have any. <laughs> I, I was just enjoying the passion that was woven with the intellect that produces the kinds of insights and, and uh, intentions that you have that uh, it's just refreshing, which isn't to say I'm not, not, not knocking all the other folks who have been here before you, uh, Shamika, but it, it was just, uh, to use a non-administrative non word, it's just very cool. The only thing that comes to mind that I, I'm just, don't even respond to uh, if you don't feel the need to, but you did use the word capacity a couple of times. And uh, I'm putting words in your mouth and taking them out again. So you can spit them out if I'm not correct. I get the idea that you see the need to permeate a capacity, a multi-level capacity among your organization for it to be all the things it has to be and should be. Just, you can say yes, you can say no, you can say I don't oh, think yes. so. No, right? no, yes, uh, Dr. Bernardo, I feel like building capacity, but also, and you know, that'll put in the right people and that right seat on the bus has been permeated and our leadership, I mean, when I came into the district in 2014, at the building leadership level, I think that, yeah, 2014, I had to think back for a minute. It was just crucial to make sure that who was hired and then retained and developed was a high quality educator. And the reason for that, it was strategically done to help build and support the systems and structures. You have to be a systems leader too. That's why I said there's so many hats you must wear as a school leader or district leader. So the system that was being built in the structure at that point had to include high quality educators in every realm. So that is important. So you take those same educators and I had to use, utilize them to help build capacity through the usage and creation of model teacher classrooms, peer observation, um, using those educators to help build the capacity of all of the teachers that were still, based on their observation, coming up with identified gaps um, that were either developing or teetering on the ineffective line, and then not being afraid to pull that gauge where you can't stay here. If you, after we've given you all of the supports and you're not making the necessary gains to impact children at a high level, I, I can't be a part of that. I would always say to the educators, unfortunately, that I had to have those fierce conversations with, I have to let you go. Perhaps another career choice, perhaps another place, but the high needs of the children here in my current district, we don't, time, time was always of the essence. So going back, to the question that Dr. Bernardo asked, yes, build a capacity, but identifying the talent, maintaining the talent, um, and making sure that equity and excellence, that was one of our models year on and year out, you know, building excellence, 
brilliance for all, not only children, because if the instructional leaders standing in front of that classroom were high quality, they're going to help permeate, change, and shift the culture, and not only the culture, but shift the climate to where our children understood, the scholars understand in our district that this is what we deserve. It, just being intentional as a school leader, creating a sense of community is, is essential. So once our staff begin to realize that we're a team and we can accomplish more together, we were able to, as a team, collectively remove two elementary schools in less than four years from priority state identified lists who are now both in good standing. But I didn't do that alone as the building principal. And I had three assistant principals who were phenomenal, but it wasn't us, the leaders. We put the systems, the structures, but building that capacity, being intentional on where you created and placed your teachers, where you placed your teacher assistants, where you even complete, placed the custodians determined the ultimate outcome of what we were aiming for. Being very careful, uh, Dr. Bernardo, about staying laser focused. And I always would say to the administrators, and even now, what are you being intentional about? Are you being intentional in the morning? Your focus was walk the building? and identify what your look for is all? Are you intentional today about looking at observations? Are you being intentional today about building relationships with scholars? And if you put your laser focus and you don't get caught in the weeds and you stay from that balcony viewpoint, you don't miss a lot. Your ears to the rail and you build that capacity on an ongoing basis because everyone together will ultimately get you to that end goal which is success. Success being not only in passing state tests, but really creating authentic learners, critical thinkers, um, children and educators, educators who are passionate about their instructional practice that own it as a profession. I feel like sometimes that gets lost in our profession over the last couple of years because our teachers are tired. Educators are overwhelmed at times. We all are. It's just the truth. Being honest with I almost forgot this part. Being a trustworthy leader is key. Walking the walk, letting your, your staff and even the educators know, and the parents know that they can trust you. They can believe in you because you are visibly there, being visible, being present, keeping your word. People begin to believe in you and they trust you. And if you have those strong relationships and you have trustworthy relationships because you have walked the walk, not only talk the talk, it's, it's hard to break that gap. You know, you have those parents that are cheerleading for you to do great, but you also have the children who you've helped build that connection with. They don't believe there's anything that they cannot do. And that's what we begin to see as a shift at the elementary schools across some pockets, across the district and other schools as well. But there's no, there's no limitations for them. And making sure that you remind them of that on a daily you know, basis, just a relentless, relentless pursuit to just excellence. It has to be a non-negotiable. Thank you, Shamika. I want Anthony to be able to jump in here. We're at, we're at time. I, I'd love to have you on about four more times too, Shamika, but Anthony, thoughts, and then we'll, 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 we'll wrap it up here. Um, I had the same reaction as, as Rich did. Um, it was just great to listen to you. I mean, I, I'm hard pressed to even find something to ask. And, you know, you, you, you said something that I was 
that kept going through my mind as you were speaking. And I'd be remiss to say that, you know, after the last two years of working with you, that I've come to, to respect and admire you for all those reasons, and especially the passion that you have. And so many of your colleagues, too, in Wine Dench, the passion, but also the optimism. You never lose the optimism. And, um, and you said something that just kept me, I was thinking throughout the whole thing. You talk the talk, but you walk the walk. And by working with you the last two years, I can say you walk the walk. Um, and, I, you know, if I had to say someone's got the whole package in terms of leadership and education, you've got it. Um, you talked about the data. You talked about the social emotional aspects, uh, never forgetting that those two play, you know, into each other. You talked about the high standards and you're so right. Too many people in our profession do not have those standards. Um, or as you also said, they're tired. Um, and I don't think people outside of our profession know just how hard, difficult, stressful educators and education can be. Um, I think we, we far too, too, I mean, people outside the profession dismiss um, the work we do, the stress we have, uh, the, the, the challenges, the passion. So, um, you know, I, I, if, there's, if there's one thing I, I see, I would love to, you to come back and, and get into some of those individual pieces because you spoke about a lot. You really uh, hit on all the dimensions of leadership and, and being an educator. And, uh, and for that, I respect and admire you. Well, thank you all for just, and I thank you for just granting feedback as you always do. I'm, I'm still working just strategically hard on making sure I'm giving the district and the children and the educators all that I can that is research-based, you know, best practices, but ultimately that I'm, I'm staying in tune with what their needs are and, and being willing to hold myself accountable when I realize that there are gaps that I need to plug my own holes as a leader, right? Fill in my own cup to make sure that I'm giving them 125, 150% when I re-enter the district every day. So you said it best as well, gentlemen, you have led us and supported us around developing, modifying, revising action plans for multiple years, but that future, futuristic thinking is keeps me in the mindset of always making sure the academic uh, being academically charged up about teaching and learning is at my forefront of my mind and making sure that people are cared for is right there they're almost in battle with each other and making sure that i don't lose any of those entryways or entry points for supporting whoever it is i'm being charged with leading um, under my watch. Under thank, my you. watch. thank you so much, Shamika. Really, uh, well said. So well said, and and I hope that that uh, current and aspiring administrators listen to this and uh, heed uh, your words of advice, your ideology, your mindset. Uh, really, really uh, informative and and uh, a model to live by as a, as an administrator. So thank you so much. Thank you, Rich. Thank you, Anthony. Uh, we will be seeing everybody soon. Really appreciate your time. Thank you, everyone, for this opportunity. Thank you, Thank Thank you for giving you. me this platform to be a part of your collective efficacy, making sure you continue to expose any educators. Thank you.
Thank no, you. Thank you. Yeah.